Welcome back, Blue Valley families, to our first podcast of the 2020-2021 school year. My name is Tanya Merrigan, and I am the proud superintendent of the Blue Valley School District. Today, I'm hosting our inaugural Blue Valley Unmuted, our new podcast, uh, where we're going to hear directly from the people who make up the Blue Valley schools. We'll talk about programs, topics, and conversations that are important to our Blue Valley community. Today, that topic is what's on everybody's mind, which is back to school and the learning options for the new school year. I'm joined by an amazing team today who has put a lot of hard work and energy into uh, the work that they have done. So joining me today is Dr. Katie Collier, our Deputy Superintendent, who has led the charge with our Academic Services team. Welcome, Katie. I also have Executive Director of Curriculum and Instruction, uh, Dr. Kelly Ott, who has led the development of our all-virtual option, Virtual Ed. And Kelly and her team have done this in a very short amount of time. So welcome, Kelly. And then rounding out our group today is someone who has worked tirelessly uh, throughout the summer to make sure that we have a safe learning and working environment for our students and staff. So Jake Slobotnik, Director of Facilities and Operations, I would like to welcome you. So as we begin today, we know that this new school year is really going to be like uh, no other that we have ever had before. Um, our team that's here today, as, as well as the rest of the district office team, has really worked countless hours, uh, really with the common goal of welcoming students back to the 2020-2021 school year. We know that it's going to be in a different way. We know that our classrooms are not going to look the same as they did when we left. Our back-to-school plan has been developed uh, utilizing resources from our local, our state, our national organizations, uh, both health organizations as well as educational organizations. And we have provided two different opportunities for families so that they can have a choice. We have an in-person experience, and we also have an all-virtual experience for students. So we know that families have difficult decisions to make between these two options. So I'd like to start today by having Katie share with us a little bit about the different options that families have before them. Sure, I'm happy to do so, Dr. Merrigan. Uh, what we know is that it's very important to provide parents choice as we move into the 2021 school year. Based on the feedback that we received from uh, parents uh, this past spring when we conducted a thought exchange. And so as a result of that feedback, we're providing, as you mentioned, the in-person option, which will have modifications, which I'm sure we'll speak about this morning. That in-person plan, um, I can expand upon, um, but that allows students to experience really the traditional school experience, if you will, with modifications to um, accommodate for the reality of the virus um, in our lives, in our community. And then secondly um, is the all virtual ed option. And that option has been developed by our amazing teachers um, under the leadership of, of you, as you mentioned, of Kelly Ott, where students will have a full virtual experience uh, from home. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that first option, you know, the in-person. Can you share some of the modifications that students would expect? And then also, are they going to come every day? Are they going to come on a hybrid approach? What is that going to look like for students? So um, really there's three prongs, if you will, when you think about the in-person model. First, there's in-person with modifications, all students every day. And I'll speak about those modifications in a second. Secondly, there's the hybrid model. 
The hybrid model would be enacted when it is necessary for us to reduce the amount of students in a building at a time. So that would be the hybrid model. And finally, distance learning. Distance learning would occur when any student that has chosen the in-person model actually needs to be learning from home, all students at home learning, when we've experienced either a singular multiple building uh, closure or an all district closure as uh, provided uh, as we receive guidance from the health department to do so. So Jake, we also know that our facilities and operations team has been hard at work uh, really making sure that we have these safe environments for our students. Can you tell us a little bit about the safety and prevention measures that we have put in place in our schools? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Merrigan. There are lots of uh, things that we're doing right now to make sure that our environments are safe, many of which we've been doing for years, so it's nothing new to us. Uh, a few new things you might see, we have some directional signage uh, to help navigate, uh, our, our public navigate, how they come into the building, where they should go and stand, to help our kids navigate through the building. Um, a visitor to our building, as they first come in, might recognize that we have plexiglass shields uh, at the receptionist desks that help to provide a barrier between our, our staff and, and the public. Uh, we're working to install additional hand sanitizer stations throughout the building. Uh, we're, we're putting in touchless water bottle filling stations throughout the facilities to ensure that students can access water without having to use a, a common touch point. Um, in our classrooms, our amazing custodial staff has been working to uh, ensure that our buildings are clean at the end of every day and throughout the day. We use hospital grade food safe sanitizers and we're really confident in our ability to keep our buildings clean. Uh, our business department is working with us to remove excess furniture in the classroom so that we can provide social distancing within our spaces and keep kids separated to as much as possible. And again, we have lots of cleaners that we're using. Uh, many of which are target specifically the COVID virus and have kill claims of around a minute or less so that we can keep our spaces very clean. Thanks, Jake. And I would agree with you. Your team has uh, really gone above and beyond this summer to make sure that our buildings are ready for those students. Katie, I know that we have had a, a few common questions from families um, really about that in-person experience and wanting to know, you know, exactly what our class size is going to look like. Are they going to be impacted? So that has been a very popular question, and uh, that is one reason we are asking parents to thoughtfully consider their decision for their children um, for this next school year is so that we can really well plan for the student's return. And so based on the number of students that enroll in virtual, we will then be uh, better be able to determine the number of students in our classes. In some instances, class sizes um, may be reduced. Um, in other instances, class sizes may be consistent with what they've experienced in the past. However, in those instances, we're working with staff to very much analyze the physical space in our buildings and their classrooms to best ensure social distancing, and the wearing of masks will be um, imperative throughout our entire uh, community for students that choose in person. So, will class sizes be reduced? in person that will uh, be based upon the number of students that return to the in-person setting. And in those instances where we have to enact the hybrid model, um, there would be obviously less students in classrooms um, 
during that time as well. So you mentioned masks, which have been kind of a popular question that has come up, and, and people have strong opinions on both sides of that issue. But uh, what have uh, we decided around masks uh, wearing for both the adults and the students in our buildings this year? So currently we're following the governor's order for the wearing of masks, and we've appreciated the parent questions around masks. And we've sought to, just recently this week, uh, clarify for parents our guidance around masks. For all of our students, pre-K through 12, all of our students and staff will be required to wear masks within the learning environment. We're going to ask that those masks remain on with the exception of when students are eating or drinking. We're going to be very mindful with our staff about providing students fresh air breaks to get outside and remove those masks. Um, also, when students are outside, engaged in physical activity and social distancing can occur, those masks will, be, uh, will come off and be uh, placed in a safe location. We have had questions if they're wearing masks, will they wear masks when they're in PE? And yes, at this time we are recommending that masks remain on uh, even uh, during our PE classes as well. Saying that, I will say that our, we'll be working with our PE teachers um, around what um, activities and such can look like um, being mindful of the adjustment that students are going to go through when they're wearing masks in that uh, instructional setting. So another popular question seems to be around lunch. Uh, what is lunch going to look like for our students? Lunch has been a very popular question for sure. And we know that each building principal is working with their staff to make necessary modifications for lunch. And so what that means is that students may well um, be eating in the cafeteria or commons area. And when they do eat in the cafeteria commons area, they will be social distanced. And principals are being very mindful about what that seating looks like uh, to be, re again, to remain mindful about any respiratory droplets that, that would be in the air at that time. So again, we're following governor's, the governor's order and guidance related to lunch. And then um, in that, so if students are eating cafeteria commons, you might wonder then where are we eating? So we're going to maximize spaces uh, throughout the school building to allow for lunch to occur. And then those areas will be sanitized before and after eating. Students will be washing hands before and after eating. And at middle and high school, we're going to have contactless point of sale. So all of our middle school and high school students will have a lanyard and a badge and they'll swipe, will be contactless. All of our meals will be prepackaged, pre-wrapped. Uh, for students for lunchtime as well. So still working out some details, but we feel better and better about it every day. What about transitions? That seems to be another question is, uh, you know, a lot of the guidance that you will read will ask or will suggest uh, that we have minimal transitions for students. You know, I'm really very proud of our uh, building principals who are very, being very mindful about what can the schedule of the school day look like. That's why we have adjusted at middle and high school the schedule for the day, and that will be what we refer to as an alternating block. And that block is designed to minimize the number of students and the amount of times that students are transitioning in the hallways. In elementary school, we know some of the classes that they experience, if they have special class teachers, those teachers are gonna to come to them instead of students moving throughout the building. We're going to stagger dismissal from classes throughout the school day as well. Principals are being very thoughtful as they work with staff to include, as Jake mentioned earlier, direction signs in building to ease traffic flow. And then we're also going to make some uh, modifications to arrival and dismissal um, that will involve the partnership of our parents to ensure that that goes smoothly as well. 
So still talking about that in-person experience for students, uh, what's going to happen if there's a positive case of COVID-19 in a school or district building? You know, we really appreciate that question because we know this year, just like every year, this year more than ever, parents want to know that their students are safe when they return to our care, and we absolutely want to deliver upon that promise. And we understand folks want to know, how am I going to know if there's a positive case? So here's what we've outlined at this point. If there are two or more students or staff members that do test positive for COVID-19, we will provide a general notification out to families and staff in that particular building or location. Now, due to privacy laws, that notification will not provide any identifying information about the individuals who have tested positive, such as the name, the grade, or the class. Um, through contact tracing, though, individuals, if they are impacted, if they were a close contact, and on our web we define a close contact, if someone is a close contact, they will be contacted individually. Um, and again, in those conversations, we won't be able to share any other personal identifying information about people. The district is going to work closely with Johnson County Department of Health and Environment um, should cases arise in schools or buildings to determine any next steps. And the health department will work closely with the district health services team um, on a case-by-case -case basis to advise on any course of action that we may need to take with a cohort in a building. So, Jake, can you tell us a little bit about what would happen uh, to a, a particular space if we identified that somebody had uh, been positive with COVID-19 in that space? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a number of cleaners, again, as I said before, that specifically target COVID-19. And if, if we know that there's a space that has been infected, generally there's guidance from the CDC and, and Johnson County Health Department that suggests those spaces need to sit idle for a period of time. Once that time uh, occurs, we'll come in and clean behind them. We'll sanitize all touch points. We have fogging machines that will put an aerosol-based cleaner into the air to completely disinfect and kill COVID. And at that point, once that has happened, we'd be able to open that space back up. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So what happens if a student is sick? Uh, we know, you know, one of the things that we're really asking families this year is to partner with us. And if a child is sick, they need to stay home. So whether it really truly is they've been diagnosed with COVID-19 or they just have a general illness and, and they're staying home, what, does, what is that going to look like for kids? So that's a great question. Um, one thing I want parents to know if they are not already aware is that we are going to engage in temperature checks every day. So at the first part of every student's day, they will have their temperature checked. And so if there's an instance where a child comes to school and has a temperature, we will confirm that with health services and then we'll ask that student to go home. We're going to ask everyone to engage in uh, really good um, individual health assessment every, every day. And as you said, Dr. Merrigan, to stay home if you're not feeling well, students and adults. If you have that headache and you just can't d define the, the reason for that, we're going to encourage uh, individuals to stay home. Um, so if there are, you know, we enter um, allergy season and there's an increase in allergies, etc. If there is not um, a, a, a known explanation, uh, we're going to ask individuals to stay home and work with their medical provider. We're also uh, working with um, trying to d devise a way for medical providers to most easily communicate with us to not delay in time that students can be in the learning environment. Um, if they have other explanations for any physical ailments. So another top question that, that I've gotten, and I know uh, you and members of your team have, is what about this hybrid approach? 
Uh, what exactly does that look like, and when would we enact that? So um, the county health department has recently um, released some guidelines for us related to gating procedures, and that really is about the limitation of the number of students and spaces. And so the hybrid model would uh, invite students to in-person based on uh, the letter of the the last name, sorry, the last name of the oldest student in the family, and we're we're still working to define that, hope to get that out to parents here in just a a matter of days, but they'll follow an AABB schedule. So if I'm a family, I may be um, assigned to the the A schedule, so I'm going to attend two days in, and then I'd be two days out. And then when I'm out, I'm receiving uh, information about learning from my teacher, and we're working on defining more closely what that's going to look like. And when we move into the hybrid model, we seek to give parents a couple days heads up if we can so that they can prepare for that adjustment because we very much realize that a hybrid model impacts child care. Yeah, it, it does. But for us, again, that would be because we, we need to limit the capacity in our buildings and really socially distance appropriately. So thank you. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about that second learning option, uh, the virtual ed option. So Kelly, can you share with us just an overview of this, what students and families would expect? Absolutely. Um, this virtual option is 100% um, a function of how the high-quality teachers we have. And when faced with the challenge of offering the high-quality Blue Valley education that our families have come to know, um, our our teachers have risen to the challenge. So our, over the course of the summer, over 130 teachers have stepped up to the plate to help design um, courses around the Blue Valley curriculum based in the Kansas standards and using instructional strategies that, that ensure the rigor that we're, we're used to. Our goal is to continue the Blue Valley experience uh, so that students, when their family um, decides it's appropriate for them to possibly re-enter the in-person setting, that they can, so- they can slide right in without um, missing, uh, missing a beat. Um, we, we would think that we'll be able to have students continue to have those great connections with their home schools, build relationships within their, their uh, classes with their teachers and their peers, and again, just experience the high-quality education our, our communities come to, to expect. So what are the um, classes that are offered? We're very um, happy to be able to provide over 130 courses for students. And uh, that those courses were selected so that students had options, especially for graduation requirements. And uh, we looked at historical data at courses that were taken um, um, at a high rate. Um, unfortunately, we can't offer everything, but we do feel confident that there's lots of choice for families out there um, in the course offerings. So how is virtual education this year different than what happened last school year when we ended the quarter and everybody was at home? Right. So continuous learning was something that we jumped into in a matter of, I mean, really hours. And um, it was a shock to the system, and we didn't have a lot of planning time. With this, we do have a, a lot more planning time, a longer runway to provide education, and we have teachers um, focused on uh, providing high quality on learning. We were able to train people and to um, get some tools and resources in place to make sure that experience is, is a, a full curriculum and a full experience for students rather than a modified one. 
So I, I know that this is probably going to vary by level, but uh, what would a usual schedule look like for a virtual ed student? I think one thing that's consistent is it is a full-time commitment. Um, this is, this is a, a, a program in which it is not self-paced. It is a program in which students should be available during normal school hours. And that is based on feedback from the spring when our, our families wanted interaction with their teachers. And to be able to do that, that'll happen throughout the day. So students will experience both online and offline activities. The online activities could be um, a, a module, a, a one that they're working independently with the computer, or it could be a, a Zoom session with their, with their peers. Uh, we anticipate Zoom sessions having small group, but we anticipate um, student-led groups in those Zoom sessions um, still working through that, but I would expect a variety of activities throughout the day. Um, students of all ages could be on the computer and um, be working um, analog off the computer uh, throughout the day, but it will be a full full day's worth of activities. So I know that middle and high school students uh, and their parents have this question. So what about Keisha activities, sports, uh, band, choir, those kind of things? Can they participate in those and be a virtual student? I'm very happy to say yes to that. Keisha um, did meet, and they have a kind of amended their, their rules and their regulations for this one school year. So students in a remote program like ours, the virtual ed program, are able to participate in Keisha sanctioned activities and sports with their home school. Yeah, that is the awesome change from Keisha. Absolutely. So one question that I know we've all had is, you know, we have set this deadline of August 5th. I think we gave families two weeks uh, to make that decision. Can you share why that is so important? Why can't we extend that date? So we are retrofitting an entire virtual program into a, a, an organization that staffed itself months ago. So this is really related to staffing. And we need to have those numbers so that we can rearrange our resources, our human resources, to make sure we're serving all students. Um, that process is going to be very much one that typically is automated to some extent. And we have a familiarity but this year, it's going to be a really a, a hand a hand done experience that's going to take some time to make sure that we're we're meeting the needs of everybody involved. So it's around staffing, and we need the time to do that. So I, I know that our families are, are really trying to make the best possible decision for their child, and everybody's situations are very unique. So Kelly, if a family elects this learning mode and realizes that it's just not the right fit, um, what are their options? Are they in this for the whole year? What does that look like? We have um, probably two things to offer them. One is at the semester break, there will be a, a mini registration period where families could um, opt in or out of the in-person and virtual setting. Um, so, so definitely that, that's one thing that, that families can look forward to. Um, also, at the very beginning of the year, there'll be a, a short period of time, um, five days or so, where students could, if they really get in a couple days in and this really doesn't work for their family, they could contact us and we could work with them to, to make sure they're in the right setting. Thank you. So we've heard a lot of information today, and, and as we start to close out and finish our time together, Jake, is there anything else that you would like our families to know about really what we're doing to create that safe learning and working environment in our buildings? Yeah, I think it's, it's most important that, again, we give some praise to our custodial and maintenance teams. You know, in a lot of ways, they've been preparing for this for years, not necessarily in the sense of reacting to a, a pandemic, but in the materials and the diligence that we place in our everyday cleaning 
that we've been doing for years within Blue Valley. And we're extremely confident in our ability to provide clean, safe environments for all of our students and staff. And, and we're excited to have our, our buildings back and occupied again. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Katie, as our families continue to thoughtfully review the information and try and make the best decision uh, to deciding between in-person or learning options, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with them? You know, I would say that um, as a school community, we're in this together and we want to provide the safest experience we can uh, for our students and our staff as, as they return. Um, and we're absolutely committed to doing so. Um, we're very much in partnership on the instructional side with uh, the operational side, as Jake has mentioned. And um, we understand that this is a very thoughtful, challenging decision for parents. We are hopeful that the information that we're providing are, is assisting in that decision-making process. And we are here to answer questions as parents move along this route to make their decision about in person. We're here to answer those questions and so we encourage them to reach out to the building or to us to help answer the questions that they have around the modifications we have planned and are in place. Thank you. And Kelly, uh, any last words for our students uh, or our families who are considering the virtual ed option? I think it's a high quality option for families and while uh, we're not going to be perfect Every, every single day, we have an entire system from facilities to business to, to academic services behind this program and supporting us and lots of people um, wanting to make sure that students who are going to be home during the school year have the high quality experience we want them to. Thank you. As we end today, I want to thank our families for taking time to listen today. Uh, please know that these three amazing individuals, as well as an entire team, is working tirelessly to ensure that whatever option you choose for your child, we are going to be ready for your students on September 9th. I know that this is a big decision. It is not lost on me or anybody here in our team uh, that these are big decisions that you as families have to make for your child. I would encourage you, if you have student-specific questions to reach out to your child's um, home school. All of our building principals are back in the buildings now, and they can help answer specific student questions. Um, also, we have a hotline that's available. If you look at the website and you're just not finding the information that you need, uh, that back-to-school hotline can uh, be reached at 913-239-4045, and that's staffed between 7.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. on weekdays. So as we end today, again, I just want to thank our families for the partnership. Um, this is a pandemic, and I've never been a superintendent before, but I've certainly never been a superintendent in a pandemic. I've never been an educator in a pandemic, and it's going to take all of us working together to ensure that we have quality uh, education for our Blue Valley students. Regardless of which mode you choose for your family, we are going to be ready for your students on September 9th. Have a great day.